Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pacific West Fastener Association Conflict Minerals webinar. Our speaker today is Lawrence Heim, Managing Director of Elm Sustainability Partners. Lawrence has always been our go-to source for information on this complex topic, and we are honored he's with us today to share the latest information about compliance and reporting. This program is being recorded and will be archived on the PacWest website. And as I said before, we've muted all the participants in the call um, except the speaker. If you have questions, email them to vlester at pac-west.org, or you can send them by text message to 562-208-8395. If there's time available at the end of the presentation, uh, we might be able to unmute everybody for live Q&A. We've uh, given 45 minutes for this uh, total webinar. And take it away, Lawrence. Thanks, Vicki. Uh, I appreciate uh, you having me again uh, and, and putting up with me yet again, <laughs> uh, much to my surprise. Uh, you know, this, this issue about the conflict minerals uh, has been, over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of uh, interesting news that has come up, uh, and it's it's probably caused, well, it has caused confusion and consternation and, and uncertainty in, uh, in the situation and what folks need to be doing right now. Uh, I'll make this really easy. Regardless of everything that you, that you may have read or heard, as it stands right now, everything for this year for calendar year 2016 filing that your customers are reaching out to you for, there is no change from previous years. Anything that you've read about the SEC taking action or this executive order from, from Trump, that is, the executive order was never really confirmed as being official. Uh, so that, while it may have been a draft and an official draft, it was never officially acknowledged. Um, and it certainly isn't final, and it certainly isn't sitting on his desk, you know, on President Trump's desk, awaiting his signature. We do have the SEC, who uh, we are nearing the very end. I think next week is the end of their 45-day public comment period, where the acting chairman reopened the topic and directed his staff to reconsider the rule. Um, and, and there is some question about what, what really he meant by that. The, the court case, you may recall, all the litigation was really focused on one single aspect of the rule, and that's the use of specific product determination wording, DRC conflict-free, not DRC conflict-free. The, the court held that every other aspect of the rule was fine. And it was just that one minor piece of, of the rule that, that was the subject of all that legal action. So this SEC uh, reopening and reconsidering of things was really driven by the court case, which had that limited scope. But it does appear that he was uh, uh, requesting information on the rule in its entirety. But again... This is still an open public comment period. It doesn't end until next week. It's highly, highly doubtful that there's going to be any action taken by the SEC before the May 31st filing deadline. 
they've just got too many other things on their calendar. The, the, um, of course, right now there's only two commissioners who are actually there. There are three open positions that have not yet been confirmed, including the new, what is expected to be the new chairman, Jay Clayton. He has not been confirmed. Uh, so there are so many other things that are of higher priority. Uh, and, and then with all these other things that the Trump administration has done, has imposed on agencies, like the, the reconsideration of, the, of regulations and, and this two-for-one uh, type of thing, although it, the SEC is not technically subject to those executive orders by some interesting uh, uh, interesting aspect of how the SEC is set up within the government. The SEC typically voluntarily conforms to these types of things. And again, none of this directly impacts y'all, but it does impact your customers and what they are going to push down to you and what their expectations are going to be relative to content, response, responsiveness, and timing. So all of that is a very long-winded way of saying everything is going to be the same right now as it was last year. So if you have not already uh, been putting together uh, the data that you need to get in order to respond to your customers, you need to do that. Just continue as if nothing uh, has changed and continue as if you do not anticipate any changes, because I really don't think we're going to see any changes in time, uh, in time before the filing. Now, having said that and set the broad uh, kind of expectation and foundation of what's going on, let me talk a little bit about some of the things that, that have changed, primarily with what your customers are going to be expecting, and really when you get right down to it, what they're going to be pushing back on. Uh, we have seen, uh, between last year and this year, there have, there have been two major developments in terms of, of customer expectations. One of them is uh, there are fewer and fewer customers who are willing to accept a company level declaration. Again, I know this probably isn't news you want to hear, uh, but there is, there's been a dramatic uh, upswing in the number of companies who are mandating product-level responses. And there's some reasons for that, uh, and it kind of gets to this next issue, which is uh, they're, they're also rejecting certain supplier, uh, certain smelters and refiners that have been determined to be questionable or who have not gone through the various smelter audit programs. Uh, and and that's, that really is, is what the issue is with, with product-level CMRTs. What your customers are going to want to know is if you have happened to identify, and I think there's about six of them that, that tend to, uh, pop up fairly routinely. Um, if, if those, any of those are, are on the report that you provide your customers, then they're going to push back and they're going to say one of two things. Either, hey, verify for certain 
that these entities are in your supply chain and therefore in our supply chain. Uh, and if they're not, then remove them and provide me the, the an accurate conflict minerals uh, reporting template that eliminates those. Um, of course, you cannot eliminate them just because you want to eliminate them. You have to eliminate them because that's what the facts and what your suppliers tell you uh, is is actually the, the case. Um, or what your customers are going to do is is tell you uh, if they do appear to be or are verified as being in your supply chain for the products you provide us, then we want to see what you're going to do about it. What is your risk mitigation plan to either eliminate them from your supply chain or try to work with them with those smelters and refiners to become audited uh, and, and verified? Now, let's be real. I don't think anybody on this call is going to reach out to the smelter and refiner uh, and, and, you know, and try to engage them in that conversation of, you know, you really need to go through your audit and get that done. Uh, and, rea and in reality, I'm not sure too many of your customers truly do expect that. But you're going to see that because you're going to see that in, in their responses back to you because these tend to be template responses, right? That's boilerplate responses that, that are being generated from a third-party IT system or something along those lines. So uh, what this means is it means a couple very real things for you all. One is if you get that pushback, you must be prepared to respond in really one of three ways. One is to confirm, uh, it's to provide product level CMRTs that are, that are customer specific and that hopefully will eliminate those questionable smelters or refiners out of their supply chain. That's hope number one. Uh, number two is if that can't be done, for instance, if you if you cannot reasonably create a, a product-level CMRT uh, because of the nature of what you're providing them, the number of products that you're providing them, you know, the number of suppliers that you have to deal with in order to, to get their products uh, that you provide them, then the expectation is probably going to be that those smelters and refiners are going to stay on your list to your customer because your suppliers are not going to be able to remove them in the report that they provide you. So what that means is you then need to be prepared to implement and demonstrate to your customers that you are pushing forward with a risk mitigation plan. And again, what does that mean? One of two things. So this is where we get the, the uh, number two and number three things you need to be prepared for. Number one is, as I said earlier, uh, it, it, it's a plan to work with your, and it, and it has to be documented because you've got to prove to your customers typically that this is what you're doing, and the time frame is usually around six months. They want to see something completed, and, and they want to see uh, um, uh, movement and results within a six-month period of time, even though that's, that extends beyond the, the filing uh, deadline that they're working with and that you're responding to. Um, it's a plan for 
working with your suppliers to eliminate those smelters or refiners, as I said earlier, or it's a plan to, and, and you can either directly engage the smelters and refiners, or you can also push your suppliers to um, join you in engaging directly with those smelters and refiners to become audited and verified as conflict-free. So I hope that's not too confusing. I know I, I, I said a lot and used a lot of jargon, uh, but I hope it's fairly clear. And if it's not, please uh, send Vicki a note now, or I think we are going to have time to open it, open it up to uh, real-time questions and answers. Uh, but really, that's that's pretty much, uh, I think, the most important things right now that you have to deal with. Just as a quick summary, A, nothing has changed. You need to continue moving forward with your programs, with your supplier due diligence and responding to customers just like you did last year. B, expect uh, more pushback from your customers on the data that you provide. And that's going to really come down to um, the smelters and refiners that you've identified, uh, if, if any of these questionable ones show up on your list, and uh, whether you provide a, a company level or a parts level declaration to them. Uh, now, there, there's a third area where there may be some questions about the specific countries of origin that have been identified. Uh, but again, you're reporting that. That's really tied, I think, more to the smelters and refiners, uh, these questionable smelters and, and refiners. Uh, so with that, Vicki, I think I've covered really the, the main issues uh, yes, we have uh, two questions for you. Um, one of them is um, asking, can you name the six most questionable smelters? Yes, I can. Give me just one second. I can pull that up. Okay. That's great news. And then I have another question um, that was submitted to me yesterday that um, I forwarded to you, but I'll repeat it um, here for the benefit of, of the rest of the team after you answer this question. Trying to find it. Okay, and I know that this is sort of a this this topic of conflict minerals continues to be a moving topic, uh, moving target, and um, we've been fortunate that Lawrence has been available to share his wisdom on this to our members. Whenever we've asked, he's never said no, and we're very grateful for that. Oh my gosh, I just had it. Uh, <laughs> I think it was yesterday, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. well, uh, I can, if, we, if we don't find it while we're on, on the call, then you can send that information to me, and I will forward that to everybody who signed up for the, for the call. Okay. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I think that's going to that's gonna be how we have to do it, because I can't remember them off the top of my head, even though I probably should. I okay. Can't. And then um, the question that we uh, received yesterday, um, let's see here. Where, well, I'm looking that one up, too. Here we go. 
Um, as a distributor, if the COTS catalog item part contains conflict minerals, are we under any obligation to flow down any conflict mineral-free wording to our supplier slash manufacturer if our customer specifically is asking for the catalog item part number? Since we have no control over the design and we are not intentionally adding conflict minerals, it seems like there would be no obligation for us to provide the product conflict mineral-free or, for that matter, be expected to conduct a reasonable country-of-origin inquiry performed in good faith. If the customer needed the part conflict mineral-free, they should be the one responsible for ensuring that the catalog item meets the requirement versus putting the burden on us to make that determination. Any that is, on that? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, and it's actually fairly complex. Uh, but it kind of boils down to this. You know, any obligation that you have is going to be between you and what your customer requires of you. There's certainly any, any other obligation relative to SEC reporting probably doesn't apply to y'all. So that would really be the only, if you want to call it a standard kind of obligation that I can comment on. Customer-specific obligations without knowing exactly what those mandates are between you as their, as their supplier and your customer, I don't, I don't really know. It depends on how, the, how the, the, the contract and the procurement standards are established. Uh, in general, I would say one of two things. If your customer's requirement require it, then probably that kind of sums it all up. But there can be some quirks in in the relationship, in the contract terms, and really how the procurement process works in some instances. Uh, I would suggest that you you have a phone call with that customer and talk through this with them and see if they were if there will be if they would be willing to be flexible at all in this, because there are certain circumstances where if you're essentially nothing more than, as you said, if you're simply a sales channel and you have no involvement in anything in the product, you know, distributors are in a, in a difficult situation right now because technically customers, uh, their direct or tier one suppliers are the distributors. And so based on, on how the, their due diligence and RCOI programs work, your customers, they're going to come back to you because you are the one, the distributor is the one that has the immediate contractual relationship. And then they're going to tell you, you've got to do all these things. Well, obviously, as the distributor, you're just the sales channel. And what is frequently happening in this regard is and this, this happens you know, in the electronics realm is, is what I'm perhaps most familiar with. Uh, but in the electronics realm, the distributors will respond back to the customers saying, you know, with an explanation, as you were mentioning in your question, we don't have any involvement in this. Um, you know, if you'd like to get more detailed information, you can contact the manufacturers that we use in order to uh, to provide your parts. Now, of course, there's a lot of concerns about that, right? You, you've got business concerns about letting your customers know about 
your suppliers and whether that might end up cutting you out of the of the whole process. So these are all things that you have to kind of chat about with with your customers and uh, and find out what what flexibility they uh, are willing to to give you. I know that's not a direct answer, but honestly, it's it's the most uh, correct answer. I did find the names of the facilities finally. Uh, and, and part of these, see, not all of these are conflict minerals issues. Some of them have to do with U.S. Treasury sanctions. Because as we've learned more about the, the countries of origin and, and the contractual ownership relationships of some of these smelting and refining facilities, we've learned more than uh, was expected. We've learned more than just conflict minerals information, but we've learned about contractual relationships with sanctioned entities and sanctioned countries that relate to uh, business relationships with uh, uh, sanctioned entities under U uh, U.S. Treasury Department. So here's who we have. We have Tony Getz, G-O-E-T-Z, and uh, they are theoretically, I think, out of Belgium. I don't know where the actual facility is, but that's where the entity is out of. We have Kalati, K-A-L-O-T-I, Precious Metals, or sometimes it goes by Al, A-L-Kalati, and that's gold. We have Phoenix, P-H-O-E-N-I-X, Metals. We have Sudan Gold Refinery, that is Sudan, and again, I think that's more about uh, uh, um, sanctioned entities, uh, the, the country of Stan, although I believe there was something related to a lifted, partial lifting of U.S. trade sanctions on Sudan, but as it was explained to me, it was a, a lifting of only a certain part of the sanctions, not all, of, not universally across the board, all sanctioned with Sudan, so that still uh, remains in place. And the final one, Universal Precious Metals Refining out of Zimbabwe, and I believe that one is also a matter of uh, U.S. Treasury sanctions rather than conflict minerals sourcing itself. So I hope that that answers it. We have another question. Um, can you provide a website for more detailed conflict minerals information that references the executive order and response by SEC? Um, I'll have to find a, a good one. I, I, I think we posted a, an article that, uh, that um, has some of this information on it and links to things. Um, we. Uh, unfortunately, we've been rather busy over the past few weeks, as perhaps you might expect, and we're a little behind on updating the website. We're a few weeks behind on, on updating the website. So uh, we don't have completely updated information to make sure that everybody understands that it's business as usual. Uh, one other thing is that next Wednesday, uh, I will be meeting with the SEC, uh, hopefully to get kind of an update on the situation although I think this is going to be more of an opportunity for them to ask me questions during this public comment period, and I don't think they're going to be uh, in a position to actually be providing me any information. So I think this is going to be a one-way street meeting as opposed to, uh, to a two-way street meeting. 
And for the benefit of everybody on the call, much of the information that we receive um, through Lawrence, we pass on to you through our Thread Connections blog on our website. So if you go to uh, pack-west.org um, under Resources, click on Thread Connections blog, and you can sort all of the Conflict Minerals articles that we have posted. Uh, and I, um, I think almost 100% of them have come through Lawrence. Um, we have a few more minutes. If you'd like, we can unmute and see if there are any other live questions that haven't come to me through the other media. Uh, here's one. I have another question. Um, is the following statement still accurate as it pertains to country of origin in the Dodd-Frank Act? The conflict minerals include, oh gosh, here we go with all the metals, cassiterite, columbite, tantalite, parentheses, coltan, wolframite, tantalum, tin, tungsten, gold, and other materials or derivatives the U.S. Secretary of State may designate in the future originating in the Democratic Republic of Congo or an adjoining country, parentheses, conflict minerals. If the products that are supplied to the distribution supply chain contain any of the conflict minerals, the following documentation will be provided. So the question is, uh, is that statement uh, still accurate? Yes, nothing has changed. Uh, there have been no other there have been no other metals or minerals added. There's been a lot of debate about adding cobalt. There's been a lot of publicity about the concept of cobalt, and now we're starting to see things like uh, uh, jade and uh, uh, there was something else that I just recently saw over the, over the past couple weeks that, that came up. Um, none of that is within the the, the conflict minerals law in the U.S. Everything is still exactly the same as it has been from day one relative to uh, the minerals, the metals, the ores, and actually the specific countries as well. The only, the only aspect that, that has, is, I don't want to say changed because it hasn't officially changed, but and I think we talked about this in the past. A couple of years ago, a law firm uh, by the name of Keller and Heckman led a face-to-face -face meeting with the staff at the commission uh, along with, and they were representing a group of industry associations for paints, adhesives, plastics, and, and a couple other things. And their, the meeting was about chemical forms of tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold versus metallic forms of tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold. And uh, the, in that meeting, the staff agreed that the intent was only, the intent of the regulation was only to uh, cover metallic forms and therefore non-metallic forms, plastics, uh, polymers, uh, these kinds of things um, are not intended to be covered. Well, SEC would not release any kind of documentation themselves, no interpretation, no letter, no guidance, nothing. And so Keller and Heckman followed up uh, that meeting with a letter themselves saying, this is what we met about, this is what we talked about, this is what you agreed to. That letter is publicly available. And in multiple meetings and conversations I've had with the SEC 
since that letter was posted, which I believe was 2014, um, the the staff has consistently said, yes, that letter represents our position on the matter. So what that means is if you are willing to rely on this unofficial position, um, and I mean unofficial because it, it hasn't come out on SEC letterhead, uh, then what that does is it, it clarifies that only the metallic forms of 3TG are covered. And that's about the only thing related to that question that has changed since the, uh, since the beginning. We have another question uh, from someone who confesses somewhat new to this. As a distributor who uses another distributor, I've been hitting a brick wall altogether. Are distributors sending the CMRT form to their distributor? What do you do when you are told it is made from scrap metal? I'm referring to items such as standard nuts and bolts. Ah, well, actually, that's fairly easy um, because there's a question that's on the CMRT that says that specifically addresses is this from scrap? Uh, and if the answer is yes, then that's pretty much the end of the end of the the process. Uh, and, and if you're talking about standard kind of stainless or, or standard alloys, you're not going to have 3TG in there uh, that is intentionally added a, and necessary for the production or functionality of that product. If you do have any of these metals in there, it's at trace levels and it's uh, essentially contaminants. Uh, they just happen to be there through the uh, through scrap metal and, and that kind of thing. So you, you get out of it in a couple different ways. Number one, if, if you know, assuming it's not something like tin plate uh, or brass, and don't forget, brass is a uh, is a tin alloy, and therefore would be covered under this. Um, but uh, uh, the um, uh, the fact that it's scrap and the fact that any kind of content of 3TG in the, in most alloys of steel, it's not intentionally added and it's just kind of there as a contaminant, that both of those things kind of provide an out for you. Okay, we've got a few more minutes left. I'm going to unmute the lines and see if there are any other questions before we wrap this up. Okay, everybody should be unmuted right now, so if you have a question, uh, please speak up. Uh, Vicki, I have a question. Okay. Um, mine was the second question that you would ask that... Um, was rightly so considered a complex question. Um, our, being a distributor, our customers typically order a catalog item part by a, made by a specific manufacturer, a specific manufacturer's part number, and we are just the, the sales channel, like, like Lawrence mentioned. And that's what I don't understand as being a distributor. If we're just selling something to a customer exactly what they asked for, why would we have to get involved with some of these major manufacturers and try to resolve whether it's conflict mineral-free or not? They're, they're the customers, the one that ordered it. They could order yeah, it from the Amazon. They could, they could order it from uh, Home Depot. Um, so anyway, that, that's, that, that's a little more clarification on my question, I hope. 
Yeah, you know, this is a situation that, that we run into a lot, especially in the electronics realm, because you've got approved vendor lists that, uh, you know, the, the big brands have, and so they're mandating exactly what it is that they want, uh, that, that they require contract manufacturers to use in their products. And so the contract manufacturers have no say in the, the, the manufacturers of, you know, the capacitors or any of the components that go into that, they have no say in which specific part numbers from specific uh, manufacturers are used. So what, what I typically suggest is pushing that, and I think this is what you're saying, try to push that responsibility back on your customer and say, look, you know, you're really the one who's specifying this product. We're not. Um, we think it's your responsibility to do the, the due diligence mm -hmm. on those specific suppliers, not us. Now, I say that, but if, and I do recommend that that's a conversation that, that you have. However, I also suggest you manage your expectations about what success you may have in that, mm -hmm. as you yeah. might expect. They're probably going to turn back and say, sorry, we understand what you're saying, but you know what, you're our supplier and we're going to make you do the work. Um, but it's, it's at least worth the conversation. If nothing more than you kind of subtly communicate to your customer that, you know, you kind of understand this stuff, you're not ignoring it, you've got a level of, of understanding and awareness and sophistication of the topic, and I think that, that goes somewhere. Um, you know, maybe not immediately uh, uh, visible, but I think that, that that might get you some brownie points just in letting them know that you that you kind of understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. We've we've been fortunate to be able to do a company declaration, and I, I've felt very comfortable answering the first two questions um, as no, even if it was a product that contained uh, conflict minerals, because it says is, is it intentionally added to your product. We don't actually have products. We're a distributor, so I've always viewed it as I can answer no to that. Um, unless we were doing a gold plating or a tin plating and we were in control of the subcontracting there, um, I've basically said no. No to both of those questions. Is it necessary for the production of the company's product? Well, we don't have company products. We're just the middleman that passes them from one source to another. And I've never had it kicked back at all. Um, but like you said, if if it got down into a part specific, it may it may come up. But as a company, um, I've I felt very comfortable answering those two questions as as no. And then you don't have to go any further on the uh, on the uh, CMRT. And you know that's not a bad approach. But I would you know again, it's probably worth at the very least providing some kind of explanation. Mm -hmm. about why you answered that in that way, and you can do okay. that in the comment box okay. on those questions. Or, you know, make sure that you have a conversation with, with your customers. I always come back to this issue about making sure that you talk with your customers and are open with them and that so that, that there's that open communication. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the level, we're, we're, we're sometimes coming in with such junior buyers that um, – you know, they're lucky they know how to put an order and never mind even direct you to where to get right. your question answered. But I understand what you're saying. And, and hopefully you don't lose the business because somebody else takes it right. without giving them the same product, without saying anything to them. 
Okay. Thank you, Lawrence. Sure thing. Any other questions? Well, I guess they're either um, very well informed or overwhelmed. I know that this is a very complex topic. Um, and as I said before, PacWest will continue to keep you up to date on information as it develops. Um, check our Thread Connections blog. Follow us on Twitter because every time we put something on the blog, we do tweet it. And um, thank you very much for participating. Thank you, Lawrence, for sharing your wisdom. Uh, we will be uh, putting the recording of this webinar on our website, and we'll email all of you with information on how you can access that as soon as it's posted. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.